My butt and shoulder blades were going numb because they had the most contact with the frozen rock through my heavy coat. My hat, scarf, multiple clothing layers, wool socks, and fuzzy boots were doing a pretty good job of keeping the rest of me insulated. So I stayed the course of my inquiry. Finally, I asked the question that triggered a response. God, what is it you wish for me to do? You've entered into the world of alternate realities. Here, paradigms are shifted, minds are blown, and veils are lifted. Actual supernatural experiences are brought to life through storytelling by the people who experience them. Welcome to Adventures in Mysticism with Leah Grant, where the esoteric is explored and consciousness is expanded. Visit adventuresinmysticism.com to further your spiritual development through Leia's latest offerings. And now we continue with this episode's mystical adventure. My sophomore year was, by most average college students' definition, a blast. Perhaps a bit too much of one. Having just finished four years of all-girls Catholic school, Joining a sorority in college was much less interesting to me than being a little sister to a fraternity. But even that opportunity didn't present itself until my sophomore year. So I had some catching up to do in the partying department. Lucky for me, I attended a school where most of the students were living off their parents' credit cards. I was not one of them. I was a scholarship student who worked three jobs to attend. Being a little sister to a fraternity at my college meant alcohol was readily abundant, as were other recreational substances on campus, but especially at the fraternity house. I partook as much as I could, which turned out to be a lot. I recall several times going to French class at 8 a.m., not having slept and still feeling a bit tipsy. Not my proudest moments, nor my most conscious. Now, for my entire sophomore year and through the summer after, I was partying at least five to seven nights a week. I was completely functional though, holding down three jobs and maintaining the GPA I needed to keep my scholarship. Since I was basing success on being able to function, not something I recommend by the way, I was not paying attention to the signs that began to appear. Thinking back, the first clue was over that summer. My hair started getting thinner. I have thick, long hair. When I lose hair, it is not a small amount. It was filling my brushes and clogging my shower drain. Yet I shrugged it off. Back at college for my junior year, more clues appeared. I was having trouble keeping up with my schedule because I was always tired. And so I quit one of my jobs to get more sleep and pared down the number of evenings I was going out partying. I explained this to myself, though, as being an obvious change I needed to make since I had only been getting four to six hours of sleep a night over the past year 
between 18 hours of classes, being the feature editor of the campus paper, doing homework, working at my jobs, and partying. Despite getting more sleep, the warnings began. Now, I tell my clients there's a three-step process when our higher self or guides are trying to get our attention. It starts with clues. These are the little things that, that kind of show up and you can ignore them if you're not paying attention, like the falling out hair. If we ignore the clues, then they escalate to warnings. Warnings are going to be a little bit more serious, but you can still push through them. And a lot of people take their warnings as obstacles. And if we ignore the warnings, we get to the point where we experience a crisis. So I'd been completely oblivious of the clues. The first warning I got was a nasty sinus infection that took two courses of antibiotics to go away, only to be followed by bronchitis weeks later. And when I was done with those antibiotics, I got another sinus infection. Only this one was accompanied by an upper respiratory infection. I'm pretty sure that I was on antibiotics almost the entire first semester of my junior year. However, I changed nothing. In fact, I added some things. I started using Dayquil to stay awake along with unlimited amounts of Diet Coke. And to get to sleep, I took NyQuil. Now, today, I cringe thinking of the cocktail of chemicals I was pumping into my body. My next warning was the joy of getting two periods a month. I did find this warning alarming and went to the gynecologist who said it was probably stress and put me on birth control pills to force my body into only bleeding once a month. If those warnings weren't enough, I had three more. The first was that I was having a tough time regulating my temperature. I'd be freezing cold and then having a hot flash. I was told by a pre-med student friend, it was probably just a side effect of my birth control pills. So I shrugged it off. The second was heart palpitations. My heart would race, sometimes so much it would keep me from being able to sleep even though I was exhausted. I chalked it up though to drinking too much Diet Coke and started cutting back to one two liter bottle a day from two. The palpitations didn't really change that much. The third was that while all of these illnesses and other symptoms were occurring, I was also losing weight. Now, any girl in college who is drinking, eating pizza, scarfing down bean and cheeses at 2 a.m., and consuming campus food who is losing weight is not alarmed by this. She's happy. I saw this as a blessing and missed the warning it was completely. Toward the end of the semester, though, I was really having a tough time keeping everything together because I was so tired all the time. And I seemed to be forgetful, which I'd never been in the past. I pushed to get through finals and was looking forward to going home for a month where I knew I'd be able to sleep since I didn't have to work go to school, or maintain my social life. 
My dad picked me up at the airport and drove me to the house, like always. I walked in, took off my coat, and turned around to hug my mom. She gasped, said I looked like an Auschwitz victim, and started crying. I was a little shocked. I went to my bathroom and took a good, hard look at myself. Something, it seems, I'd neglected doing for many months. My eyes were dull and had dark circles under them. My cheeks were sunken in and my skin had an ashen tone. My hair was really thin and stringy and didn't have any body. And I was thin, not a healthy thin, but that kind of bony thin. Still stubborn and not wanting to see what was right in front of me. I told myself I just needed sleep, relaxation, and to eat some good food. Being home for the holidays meant mom's homemade food, a full refrigerator, and lots of tasty holiday sweet treats. Since I could eat whatever I wanted and not gain weight, I pigged out. Eggnog, bourbon balls, pasta and garlic bread, dad's fried okra, ice cream. I even remember eating an entire cheese ball in one sitting, but I continued to lose weight. When I dropped 14 pounds eating this way in the first two weeks of being home, my parents got me an emergency appointment with our family physician who ordered a full blood panel and said that I had a lump or nodule in my throat. I had noticed my throat seemed swollen, but attributed it to so much coughing and being sick throughout the semester. It was just another warning I'd not registered. A few days later, the test revealed I had Graves' disease and some disturbing other blood levels. It was time for my crisis. The doctor ordered an immediate ultrasound of the nodule in my throat, which turned out to be a tumor. At my age and with my blood test results, the inference was that it was cancerous and they decided to bypass doing a biopsy and I was scheduled to have surgery to remove the tumor and my entire thyroid a few days after Christmas. Now, no matter how strong or centered or even how checked out you are, getting a cancer diagnosis is sobering. I spent a lot of time those next few days wondering why. I tried calling my guides back to help me. I hadn't had contact with them in seven years since I was 14 years old, but I was feeling desperate. They didn't come through. I tried praying. I had been raised Catholic after all, even though I hadn't been practicing for several years. But... I heard nothing back on that either. As my consciousness settled back into my body more, I wanted to get away from the doting and the fear I could feel in all of my family members. I knew they were supportive, but I wanted some space. I decided to drive to Garden of the Gods. Garden of the Gods is a park outside Colorado Springs that has these massive red rocks, hiking trails, and spectacular views. I don't even know why I chose to go there. It was over an hour drive in the winter. And 
I think I'd been there before, but I can't remember if I had. I borrowed my mom's car and drove down the day after Christmas and the day before I was set to go to the hospital for my pre-op appointment. The park was deserted. It was freezing. I parked and hiked up a trail and then climbed up on top of one of the big red rocks. The day was gray and cloudy, and I knew it might start snowing at any time, but I didn't care. I closed my eyes and asked God, what is it that's happening? Why was this happening? Was it my time? What was I supposed to get from this experience? And I laid there for what seemed like a long time, but I heard nothing. My butt and shoulder blades were going numb because they had the most contact with the frozen rock through my heavy coat. My hat, scarf, multiple clothing layers, wool socks and fuzzy boots were doing a pretty good job of keeping the rest of me insulated. So I stayed the course of my inquiry. Finally, I asked the question that triggered a response. God, what is it that you wish for me to do? Almost instantaneously, I saw images that showed me drinking, partying, eating poorly, pushing myself to keep going when I was sleeping, drinking Diet Coke, taking DayQuil, then NyQuil. And I knew, I knew I had to stop doing all those things. And not just for a short time, for the rest of this lifetime. And I really felt a deep commitment to stop doing them. As if that was an experience I had. And now I've had it and I'm done. I silently responded, done. Immediately, I felt totally warm and there was a brilliant white light all around me. And I felt like I was laying on this soft, cozy goose down comforter. My eyes were closed yet Before me, I saw two transparent silhouettes in the light. I didn't recognize them as my guides that I'd seen before, but these beings did feel familiar, like almost like what family would feel like. Waves of calm pulses moved through my body. I hadn't felt anything like that before. I got telepathically that I was on earth for a mission and I had gotten off course and I was being given an opportunity to get back on course. Then there was a sudden flash and I was on the cold rock again, as if they had never been there. I asked what mission, what am I here to do? I tried to hold on to the feeling and to bring back the light but the experience was done. The light was gone. 
Feelings of sadness washed over me. I asked again, hoping for an answer. What mission? What am I here to do? But I knew it was futile. I knew I wasn't getting an answer. When I opened my eyes, I saw that tiny snowflakes had started to fall and the sun was beginning to go down. The temperature had dropped too. I looked at the sky. Something had happened. I felt different, more present yet a bit floaty, more aware yet a little off center. However, the experience wasn't over quite yet. I was guided to go into the town below. I walked around the almost deserted streets, not knowing why I'd been directed there, but trusting. Then I saw it in the window of a metaphysical store, a perfect amethyst crystal displayed in a window. It was flawless, about the size of the tip of my pinky finger. It was the most beautiful lavender color I'd seen in an amethyst. It was wrapped in silver and displayed on a shiny black cord. Now, I was a college student who had near to no money, so a stone that nice in a silver setting was way out of my budget. But I heard buy it. I didn't. I left the store and continued to walk around, but kept feeling drawn to go back and get it. So as the snow started to fall heavier, I made my way back to the store and purchased it. I eased the cord over my head and worked the stone through my layers of clothing to rest on my chest. In the car on the drive home, I could feel an energy around it, extending into my heart, down into my lungs, and up into my neck. It was active, yet calm at the same time. And I felt held in a way. Having no ability to explain what occurred to my very traditional parents, I allowed them to take me to the hospital the next day. I felt like the surgery wasn't going to happen, but I had no logical reason to think so. It was scheduled. I sat in a paper gown alone, waiting in a room for quite a while. Then a tech came in and said they could not find my ultrasound results and they needed those to mark where to cut. So he was going to do another ultrasound. In the middle of it, he called in another tech. They slid the little camera tool around my neck, poking and prodding, and finally decided the machine was broken because they couldn't find a tumor to take a picture of. I was sent to another building and given an ultrasound using a different machine. It too could not find anything. My surgery was canceled. 
And I was referred to an endocrinologist to treat my thyroid condition. I realized up there on that frozen rock, I had experienced a spontaneous healing. Was it God? My starseed family? Interdimensional beings? Or my own consciousness that gifted me with that healing? I'm not exactly sure. I do know that the whole ordeal taught me a lot. Like living consciously doesn't mean we never stray from our connection and purpose. In fact, I would definitely say that during the 18 months leading up to my spontaneous healing, I was numbed out and disconnected. I now know what that feels like. And it's a feeling I do not want to experience again. And so now I have that contrast of being super connected and being completely disconnected. I know filling my body with alcohol, caffeine, and drugs, legal and otherwise, does not lead to health. Yet at the same time, I was engaged in that lifestyle. It seemed normal, like the thing to do. And that taught me how enticing peer pressure and fitting in can be, and also how deadly for me it could have been. Thank you for listening. Next episode, I'll share my adventure with channeling angels. Until then, remember that your spiritual journey is a supernatural adventure in and of itself. Enjoy the unfolding and embrace the unknown. Thank you for joining today's Adventures in Mysticism with Leah Grant. To go on more journeys with Leah, subscribe now. To step more fully into your spiritual role of bringing about a positive, high-frequency future for humanity, visit adventuresinmysticism.com.